When our thoughts and perspective improve, our lives improve with them. This is the second message in the series, It's Time to Change Your Mind. The message is entitled, Check Your Perspective. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. For the message that I want to share with us this evening as we're involved in this series of messages that we started last weekend entitled, It's Time to Change Your Mind. Say it with me, it's time to change your mind. I want to talk to you tonight about checking your perspective, checking your perspective. As we talk about changing our minds, it's extremely important to understand that the Bible is filled with tremendous truth regarding your thinking. The Bible, as I said last weekend, it's not a psychology textbook, it's not a neuroscience textbook, but it contains for us the principles that will help you to think not only in a healthy way, but in a holy way. When you begin to get God's Word in your thinking process, it heals you on the inside. And in fact, the writer of Proverbs gives us this very important statement. We read it last weekend. I want to bring it to your attention again. We'll be looking at it multiple times during this series. And why don't we read it together loud and loudly. Here we go. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. You thought your wife ran your life. No, it's actually your thoughts that run your life or your husband runs your life. Be careful what you think. Who's doing the thinking? You are, exactly. Somebody was right on over there, okay? So whose responsibility is it to think about your thinking? It's ours. Each of us have that responsibility. Be careful what you think so the responsibility is placed on us because here's the principle. Your thoughts are actually running. They're operating your life. And I talked a little bit last week about uh, about your brain being a part of your physical body. And, and while your brain is just simply an organ, if you will, of your body that's very uh, wonderfully made, incredibly made, it runs on a software system. It's really the hardware that God has given every human being, the hardware of a, a brain that we carry in this thing called our skull, about three pounds it weighs, but it's very, very powerful, but it works on the basis of how it's programmed. There has to be a programming that occurs for your brain to function well. Bad programming, bad life. Good programming, healthy programming gives you a healthier, holier life. So we're talking about how to actually improve our thoughts based upon God's Word. And I'm going to share with you some illustrations this weekend about perspective. That's the whole idea, checking your perspective. And I want to talk, start by giving you two illustrations from the Bible of some folks that had to deal with perspective. And, and really the word perspective, as we'll unfold it here uh, through, throughout this weekend, is really about how you view things around you. It's the lens, we might say, through which you look at everything. That's your perspective. And, it, and whether you realize it or not, or whether I realize it or not, everybody's looking at certain things in life through a lens. You're looking at it through, another word we could use here, is through a filter or filters. So whether you realize it or not, everything that you think about in life, you're processing it through filters, filters that go back from experiences you've had in life, the family you grew up in, the teachers you had, the successes you had in life, the failures you had in life, the relationships you've had in life. All of these have created certain lenses or certain filters through which you view the world around you and through which you interpret the world around you. 
And that's called perspective. That's all a perspective is. The filter or the lens through which you're viewing the world around you. And there's a classic example in the Old Testament of a group of people who had a really hard time changing their filter. They had a really hard time changing the lens through which they looked at life. And that group of people were the children of Israel. If you don't know the story, it would encourage you to go back and read portions, at least the first sections of the book of Exodus, because as you see the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, they are in slavery in a place called Egypt. You might recall that. So they're Egyptian slaves. They're making bricks for the pharaohs there and building all kinds of things, but they're slaves. And they are enslaved literally for 400, over 400 years. That's a long time to be in slavery. And it did a lot to their mentality. It affected them very adversely. And God raised up a man uh, as a deliverer for these slaves. And you might remember his name. Somebody want to tell me his name? His name was Moses. Exactly right. And so Moses comes along and God, through a series of tremendous miracles, brings them out of Egyptian slavery. And the whole idea was to take them to the promised land. Okay. This was a fulfillment of a promise that God had, and he says, I've got a land for you, and I'm going to use Moses, take you out of Egyptian slavery. You've been crying out to me for years, asking me to deliver you, and I'm sending Moses for this point of deliverance, and indeed, that's exactly what happened. And so they come out of Egypt, and they head through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Now, I think you would agree with me that in large measure, if you've just been taken out of 400 years of slavery and God has done miracles like parting the Red Sea and getting you across on dry ground and, and drowning a bunch of Egyptians behind you, would you agree that that's pretty exciting stuff, right? Okay. That's really pretty amazing things happening, and it's the kind of thing that should bring a lot of joy to your life and a lot of excitement about your future and a lot of perspective about, wow, I wonder what's ahead because this must really be good. And so that's what you would have anticipated the Israelites thinking, how they would have been thinking, but instead, as soon as they get into the wilderness, having just crossed over, you read it for yourself, having just crossed over the Red Sea, heading in and toward the promised land, they begin to grumble and they begin to complain and they begin to be mad at Moses about different things and mad at God and, and eventually even when God gives them the law, the great Ten Commandments, uh, while Moses is up on the mountain, they're down at the foot of the mountain building a golden calf and worshiping. How could that group of people do that? Why did that happen to them? It happened to them because they were out of Egypt but Egypt wasn't out of them. Let me say that again. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of them. They were out of slavery, but slavery, the whole mentality of those 400 years had worked its way into their perspective. And so at, a cer at certain points in the journey, they were even talking about going back to Egypt instead of going to the promised land. Well, eventually... Moses, bless his heart, was, had to be so patient because he's leading these people and they're grumbling and complaining all the time. And he finally gets them to the edge of the promised land and he, he, he makes the decision 
And he's going to send in 12 guys to check out the land. The hope was these 12 guys would go in and check out the land, and they would be so excited, they would come back to all the Israelites, and they would kind of pump everybody up. Hey, this is great. Look at the land. It's amazing. And so he was hoping these spies would, would have a very positive outlook on what they saw in the promised land, because they're now finally at the edge of this promised land that God had spoken of. And so he sends them in to check out the land. And what happens is when they come back, there are 12 spies and 10 of them come back and they still haven't been able to shake their perspective. They're still looking at things through a certain kind of lens, a negative lens, a we can't do this lens. Take a look with me, if you will, to Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, let's see what they said. They gave Moses this account. These were the 10 of the 12 uh, spies that came back. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. So they're acknowledging that this promised land was amazing. It was incredible. In fact, uh, the story says that they had to carry the grapes on shoulders because the grapes were so big and heavy that it was just incredible. They came back and they even acknowledged it's a beautiful place. It's great. It's flowing with milk and honey. There's tremendous fruit there. Now notice the next thing, that one of the next things they had to say. But the men who had gone up with him said, what did they say? What are the first two words? Help me out here. What did they say? We can. We can attack those people. They're stronger than we are. So there in that moment, they're now back having seen all the beautiful potential future. But what is their attitude? What is their thought? What is their perspective? Their perspective is we can't. Now let's continue on. We saw the Nephilim there. That was a group of giants. The, the descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We, see, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Very significant words here that we don't have time to unpack uh, as fully as I'd like to, but here's the idea. That the, we can't do this. The reason we can't do this is because there's some giants that we saw in the land, and we saw these giants, and when we saw these giants, we we seemed like grasshoppers. It wasn't even necessarily that they were grasshoppers. It was the view that they had. It's something that you might be familiar with from a psychological standpoint. It's called self-image. They were convinced that they were too small, too incapable of handling the giants in the land. So they're about to walk away from a future that God had planned for them. And in fact, God begins, after all this journey and all the promises and all the work that God had put into them, getting into the promised land, they now are saying we can't do this. Seems like we're grasshoppers. And God, notice what God says in Numbers chapter 14. Look at what happens here. Here's God's final judgment to them. He says, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. So because of their perspective, please everyone listen, all of us tonight, listen closely. Because of their perspective, they missed their promised future. Can I say that to you again? All because of their perspective, what did they miss? The future God had for them. And it's sad to think about, and I think about it even in my own life from time to time, 
how many times we miss the incredible future that God has in store for us because of the lens through which we're viewing the world around us, through which we're viewing various things. And, and because of our perspective, we miss the promise of God. Let me give you another story. I told you there were two examples. That was the first. Here's the second. The second one you're going to be very familiar with. Most of you will. And that's the story of David and Goliath. Anybody remember that story in the Bible? Well, the story of David and Goliath, very simple story. There was this giant by the name of Goliath, and he was one of the Philistines. And, and what was happening is that the Philistines were wanting to take and capture different uh, groups of people uh, around their territory. And one of those groups were the Israelites. And so they challenged Israel to a battle, and the battle was basically going to be a man-to-man -man battle. And so Goliath says to all the armies of Israel, uh, send one guy up and fight me, and here's the deal. Whoever wins the battle gets the victory. We're not going to fight this whole thing out with all the armies. I just need one of your guys come and fight me. Now, the problem was that Goliath was over nine feet tall, so he was very intimidating. He had a big mouth. He talked all the time in intimidating words, and so every time the Israelite army would get up enough courage to try to go and do something about Goliath, Goliath would say something, and they would run away. You can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And finally, one day, a man by the name of Jesse, who had some of his sons in the army, also had another son that wasn't in the army but was at home taking care of his sheep. And that young son was named David. Exactly right. And so J Jesse says to David one day, David, I want you to go and check out your brothers in the army and take them some food, find out how they are, and here's some bread and cheese that we want you to take to them and just see how they're doing and bring me back a report. And so David is sent by his father to the battlefield and he arrives there to deliver the food to his brothers and to say hi to them, find out how they're doing. And he sees all this going on. He sees this, this intimidation and this Goliath that is really draining uh, the Israelite soldiers of their, of their ability to fight. And I want you to notice what happens here because I, we're going to see perspective as we look at this story. So David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now here's ex extremely, all these points I'm giving you tonight are extremely important for you to internalize in your own life. The Israelite soldiers, all they could see every day for 40 days, for almost six weeks, they had endured this. For almost six weeks, every day, Goliath would come out and chase them away with his intimidating voice. And all these, I mean, the whole army of Israel were intimidated because their perspective was all they could see, the only lens through which they could view the experience or the circumstance was the lens of seeing Goliath. They saw a giant. But when David came on the scene, instead of seeing a giant, what did he see? Help me out here. He saw a circumstance that shouldn't have been this way. He saw a circumstance that should have been different because he knew and had a relationship 
with God. He was looking through a different lens. He was looking through a whole different filter. Notice verse 32, what happens here. David said to Saul, uh, do, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So he makes the decision. He's going to go and go after this, this, this giant. Take a look with me what happens next. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Now here's the difference. What were the Israelite army, they were running away from the giant. David ran to the giant. Why? Because he was looking through a different lens. All the Israelite army could see was a giant. All David could see was God. And so he runs to him. Now, verses 45 through 47, David said to the Philistine, up to this time, it's the Philistine doing all the talking. Now, David says, you shut up and listen to me for a minute. Okay. Are you with me tonight? You've been doing all the talking for 40 days. You just shut up and you listen to me for a minute. I'm going to do some talking now. See, he's taking authority. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is not a David in Israel, but there is a God in Israel. All, all those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Would you agree? That was a very different perspective, right? Okay. What I want you to see is that so much in our lives, so many things in our lives are determined by the lens through which you're looking at things. So much in your life is determined by the filters that have been set up in your life that you don't even realize are there many times. I'm sure if we would have interviewed all those Israelite soldiers, none of them would have been aware that they were viewing things through the filter of fear and through the filter of intimidation. They were not aware of it. They felt the emotions of it, but they didn't understand the filter of it. So let me share with you four things. Now, I'm going to go through these very quickly because this was a setup for the four things I want to share with you that you need to know about perspective. Here's the first thing. A perspective is a way of thinking. It's not just a thought. It's a way of thinking. It's a different thing. There's a difference, and I had a thought, and I normally think this way. There's two different things, right? You with me on that? So a perspective is not just I had a thought. You can have a perspective of a thought, but generally a perspective is this is how I normally think about things, the view that I have. It's a way of thinking. And when it comes to life, we, we tend to have perspective. Actually, I went ahead of myself. Let me stop here just for a moment. I want to talk about this just for a bit before I go to the second point. In your life today, whether you realize it or not, you have, as I said a moment ago, all these filters. For some of you, it's a filter of fear that when you look at the world around you, you don't think about it, but you filter everything through experiences of fear in your life. Some of us have a filter of worry and anxiety. We, we look at the world and all we can think about is all the things that could go wrong. All the bad things that 
could happen. And, and when we don't have anything to worry about, we're worried because we don't have anything to worry about. So it must be really bad because we're not, it's really coming at us because we don't know what's about to happen. And so it's the perspective of fear and the perspective of, of worry. Some people go through life with a perspective of poverty. I'm never going to get ahead. doesn't matter how much I work. I, I'm always going to be behind. My, 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 my bank balance is never going to grow. And it's a poverty mentality for some people they have this hypervigilant mentality they're always looking out for some problem coming their way or they have a filter of mistrust they don't trust people very much or a filter of I've got to control everything because if I'm not in control I'm not sure what's going to happen in my life or some have this filter of rigidity I can't change because I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with change so everything has to stay the same or some have a filter of skepticism or doubt in their life in some way they can't get past the point of believing either God or other good things happening in their life. Sometimes you have a perspective of just can't be done, a negative perspective. I don't know what your lens might be, but all of us have different lenses that we carry around with us in life. And by reason of the way we think, most of the lenses are negative. Do you remember last week I talked about the fact that every day you have somewhere, and I'm not an expert in this, so don't hold me to this. I'm just doing a lot of reading relative to this. And I understand that we have somewhere between 50 and 70,000 thoughts every day. That in your brain every day you've got somewhere between 50 and 70,000 thoughts going on in your brain. And one research article that I read said that the way they've mapped this is about 80% of them are negative. Eight out of 10 of our thoughts tend to be negative in nature. So what that means, and 95% of those are repetitive. You have them day after day after day. What that means is this. It means that you have a perspective, oftentimes, that's negative that you don't even realize. Let me mention one more thing before I go to the second point. There are really four areas. Is it okay if I do this tonight? Well, just a little bit of teaching here. You have perspective about four things in life. You have a perspective about God, whether you realize it or not. You have a view of God. Your relationship with God is determined by how you view Him, okay? You have a perspective of yourself. You view yourself in a certain way, many times very negatively. You know, if you talk to other people the way you talk to yourself, you'd be considered highly abusive. <laughs> is that not true? If you talk to other people the way you talk in your own head to you, okay, just think about how mean you are to you. You'd never say to other people the same kind of thing. Hopefully, you wouldn't say to other people the same kind of things you say to you. So, again, you've got to perspect. You carry this filter through which your thoughts about yourself go. You have a filter about other people. You size other people up, and they go through your filter. Okay? you got a lens there. And then you have, I'll give you another one here. It's just more of a generic category that I like to include in this, this aspect of the teaching. You, you have, I'm just going to use this word. You have a perspective of life in general. Okay? You just view life as a certain way, and you, life is bad, life is good, life is whatever, but you have a view of life that you've developed. So the, all these are the filters, a filter about God, yourself, a filter about others, a filter about life, and these are ways of thinking. And here's another thing I like to mention here. When things are negative, oftentimes they're not just negative, but they're also a lie. Your thoughts lie to you. I thought it, it must be true. No, no. 
Just because you think something doesn't make it true. For many, many years, they thought the world was flat. And guess what they found out later? It's not. If some of you, that might be a shock to some of you tonight, but you need to go home and process that. Is it not flat? Just so you know this, okay? Here's our second thing, okay? Your perspective produces what? Behaviors and emotions. I'm not going to take long on this one. We saw it a moment ago. What behavior did the slaves coming out of Egypt have? Grumbling and complaining and we can't do this and what kind of emotions they had? Very negative, always down, discouraged about everything. The same was true for David. David's behavior was motivated by his perspective, and the Israelite army's behavior and emotions were affected by their perspective. And so I would just ask you the question, what, what's happening in your life based upon your perspective of God, yourself, other people, and, the, and life around you. I'm writing this very fast. You cannot read it because I'm barely writing it, okay? But I'm just laying that. What, when you think about your view of God, your view of yourself, your view of other people, your view of life, what's that doing to your behaviors? How would your behavior change and how would your emotions change if you had a healthier view of God? How would your behaviors change and how would your emotions change if you had a healthier view of yourself? How would your behaviors change and your emotions change if you had a healthier view of other people? And, of course, the last one being a healthier view of life. Can you see that a healthier, holier view in all of those areas is going to improve your behavior and improve your... Now, what is an emotion? An emotion is the thing you talk about all the time. I feel so bad. I feel... Whatever. So that's what an emotion is. Look at Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So here's all I want to leave you with there before we go to the third point is it's all about your mindset that is also known as perspective. Say it again with me. Perspective. What is your mindset on? Here's our third thing. Perspectives need to be checked. See, I can unpack this for you. A lot of your perspectives, our perspectives, I'm including myself in this message tonight. A lot of our perspectives about God, ourselves, other people, life around us, sometimes they're unconscious. We don't realize that they're there. We don't even know the track that we're operating on, but we're living life based upon those things. And the reason that they're, they're unconscious is because we seldom ever check them out. We never stop and question our perspectives. They're seldom examined. And so we don't know if they're accurate or not because we don't, we don't really look at them. They, they proceed unchecked. Let me just throw something out tonight. Just listen to me for, for a moment here. What if, just think with me for a moment, what if you're suffering unnecessarily in emotional pain or in mental agony or in spiritual issues in your life all because your perspective is wrong? What if you're suffering unnecessarily? 
What if you didn't even have to suffer that way, but you've got this suffering, this emotional pain going on inside of you, this mental agony going on inside of you, and all these different things happening in your life that you're trying to deal with, and the reason is not because life is all that bad, or God is mean, or that you're that terrible, or other people hate you. The problem is not any of those things. It's the way you're looking at it. Can I get a little amen tonight? Okay. Maybe that could be the problem. How are you going to know? The only way you're going to know is by checking it out. You've got to say, is my thinking about God really accurate? Is my thinking about myself really the way God wants me to think about me? Is my thinking about other people based in the love of God? Or, or is it based in something else? Is my thinking about life, is it based upon how the world views life? Or am I thinking about it from God's perspective? Because there's only one thing that will set your perspective straight. We're going to go over this multiple times in this series. There's only one thing that you need to know that will free you up. And the question is, what is true? Do you want your perspective to be based on lies? No. Look at what the scripture says. Psalm 119. The only way to know truth, by the way, there's only one solid source of truth, and that is the word of God. That's the only thing that never changes. Morals in society change. People's opinions change. This never changes. The Bible says it is set for eternity. The word is set for eternity. Listen to these verses. I'll give them to you quickly. Psalm 119, verse 18. That's why the psalmist said, Open my eyes that I may see. I can get an understanding. Uh, I can see wonderful things in your law. Psalm, Psalm 119, verse 45. And I will live a life of freedom because I pursue your precepts. That is your truth. Take a look at this next one. In John chapter 8, 32. You know it well. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen to this one in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. I've, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, Paul prays here and says, I keep asking that the God, what is he asking here? What is he praying about? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What does the word revelation means? It means you reveal something. You've seen these television programs where they have the great reveal. Something's been going on in the background. Suddenly the, 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 the sheet is removed and you see what was there. And so he's praying that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better or more accurately. And then the last part of this, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So the only way that you're going to know whether your lens is correct or not is to check it out. Because some of us are walking around looking through lens that are really distorted. This past summer, I had... Uh, I'd, been out, and uh, it, was, it was a hot day, and I'd parked my car somewhere, and I left my regular glasses in the car on the dashboard of the car, and I'd put my sunglasses on. I have prescription sunglasses, and so I'd exchange my glasses, and I came back, got in the car again, and put my sunglasses down to get my regular glasses back on, and I thought, what's wrong with my eyes? This is, I can't see anything. I'm like, 
what this number? And what was, was not this pair of glasses, but another pair that I had. I couldn't see a thing, and I'm like trying to figure it out. So I put my sunglasses back on and get back home and start trying to figure out what was going on. And what had happened was while I was out that day, it had gotten so hot in my car that it actually had distorted my frame in the lens of my glasses and ruined them, actually. But I didn't know that it happened until I examined it closely and realized I was trying to see through distorted lens the heat had distorted my lens. Do you know that there's some of you here tonight that the heat of life has distorted the lens of your vision? The heat of life has distorted the lens of your vision and you're not seeing. You've got a wacky perspective and you're wondering, why am I doing these crazy things and why do I feel the way I feel? Well, this is not, there are other issues. I'm not trying to simplify everything to so that everything's related to this. There are biological issues that give us medical, psychological issues and so forth. But I'm saying you can get a whole lot better if your thinking gets better. Amen? No matter what's going on in your life. Here's my last point. Your perspective can do what? It can change. You're going to see this word a lot over the next several weeks. This is going to be a really big word. And the reason I'm going to repeat it week after week is because you need to hear it week after week. Because the reality, and I need to hear it week after week, because the reality is when you get stuck somewhere, first of all, you have to realize I need to change. And then second of all, you have to believe that you can change, okay? If you don't have those two things in place, you're never going to change, okay? So I'm going to keep, you're going you're to get the sledgehammer of change every week, all right? So just come in, and as soon as you walk through, just start saying, change, 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 change. Just, just going to start saying it, okay? Because this word's going to come up a lot, and it's right in Scripture. Romans 12, verse 2, we read it last week. And some of these scriptures we're going to read time and time again because I want it to get into our heart. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't think like the world thinks, don't have the same perspective the world has. The world has a weird, broken, distorted perspective of God, right? The world oftentimes teaches us distorted perspectives of ourselves. Certainly, the world has a lot of messed up thinking when it comes to how we view other people, does it not? Okay. And the world can give you a lot of lies when it comes to thinking about life. So don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God say it with me. Can we just, come on, say our word. Let God change you, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By doing what? Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How do you do this? Well, when you begin to discover and check out and investigate and examine these thought processes in your life, and you begin to discover the ones that have given you the wrong perspective. And I'm going to help you with some of that as we get through this series together. Actually, I'm putting a, together a 21-day uh, process for you that will actually come in a book form, book, booklet form that should be ready by, if not next weekend, the following, next week, following weekend that we'll give to you as a free gift to get you moving forward in this. So those are going to be some practical tools that you'll have as a part of this. But once you discover distorted perspective, you need to realize this. You need to realize, I have a criminal in my head. Okay. Say it with me. Come on, you don't, you're not, you're, some of you are looking at the other person beside you and saying, 
Some of you said, you're the criminal in my head. <laughs> Come on, say it with me. I have a criminal in my head. Some of you got a whole prison there. You got different wards, okay? High security ward over here, low security ward over here. You got all kind of wards in your head, okay? Big old prison in your head. But you got to recognize that if you got a criminal working around your territory, they need to be stopped and arrested, right? Now, don't think. Criminals don't have your interest at heart. Criminals want to hurt you, okay? Criminals want your stuff. That's what criminals do. What can I get from you so it now no longer becomes yours, but it becomes mine? How can I get from you what will benefit my... So criminals are no good for you. They're, they're out for you. I don't need to go into that any further. So here's what we see here in Scripture. We read it last weekend. You're going to see this passage multiple times through this series. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and don't go to the take captive part yet. There's a word before that that you skip over, that you better not skip over. That doesn't say God. That says we, right? Now, God's going to help you, but who's he talking about? Us, right? We take, so who takes captive? We got to do something here. It's not going to happen unless you do something. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So there's something we do. So that means you and I have to be in the game. Did Goliath die in the story? Are, are you, do I need to go back and tell the whole story again? Okay. I'm asking a simple question. Did Goliath die in the story? Yes. Did he die like dead, dead? I mean, he's gone, right? Did God kill him? Well, time out. You got to think about that a little bit. Yes, he did, but he did it through who? Through David, okay. So he's dead, but he's dead because David did something together with God. So you got to get this picture that you got to recognize. You got something to do in this process. You got to recognize the criminals that are hanging around your head, inside of you. Where are the criminals living inside of my brain? I need to find out where they are. You can't arrest a criminal until you know their location. You got to know their location. We got this thing going on in the, in the country today. They're trying to find this guy that's a person of interest uh, with this other young lady that's, that was murdered. And so they, got, they, try, they, think they can't do anything until they find him, okay? So you got to find the stuff in your head that's giving you problems right now. And, and then you've got to use some authority in Jesus' name and say, I, I'm arresting you. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it. I may have to work around this thing. God's going to have to help me. I, I, may, I may, may, may bounce around with you a little bit here and trying to get you down, but I'm telling you, you're going down. I may not get you down the first time, 
I may not slap the handcuffs cuffs on you the first time, but I'm telling you, I'm going to work at this thing until you're handcuffed and you're put in prison because I'm taking you captive and making you obedient to Christ. You're not going to operate in my life anymore because I've got to, you know, I, I may not be an expert at this. I'm, lear- I'm learning this process, devil, but I'm telling you in the name of Jesus, I'm going to learn how to slap those handcuffs on you and wrestle you to the ground. And I'm going to slap you in a prison cell and you're going to be locked up because you're not going to traffic in my life anymore. This is, I'm tired of it. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I'm not going to let this happen. You're not going to take from me any longer. You've been taken from me long enough. Everybody's saying it's, enough is enough. Enough is enough. Okay. So you say, I've got to get my perspective right. My perspective right. Because once you get your perspective right about God, and once you get perspective right about yourself, not, I'm not saying you come up with your own. God has a lot of definition for you. Did you know you're loved by God? You know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made by God? That's what he says about it. Do you know that you're forgiven by God? Do you know that you're a new creation in Jesus Christ? Do you know that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength? This is what God says about you. And that means it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. Get the right perspective about other people. Other people are people to be loved and to be, to be a part of, of your life and your world and be a part of the blessing that you extend and bearing others' burdens. There are great things that you can do when you have the right perspective of other people and the world around you that God has placed you in. We've got to get a handle on our perspective. It's time to change your mind. Would you pray together with me tonight? Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We're grateful for the word of God. Lord, what will we do without your word? We, we don't even want to dare think about trying to live without the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that something that's been said tonight would resonate deep in us, that would become something that's just more than a, a nice sermon, maybe even a good emotion for a moment. But Lord, let it begin to work transformation in each one of us. Lord, let us find those criminals in our head that are trafficking around and stealing and killing and destroying the plans and purpose you have for us. And let us work together with you, even as David did with Goliath, to capture them and put them in prison and to live the life of freedom that you want us to live. For that, we thank you, we honor you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. 
Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.